0: Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man has come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All conflict comes from unmet expectations. That's what Colleen and I, our wedding counselor, told us our first time meeting with her a little over 10 years ago. All conflict comes from unmet expectations. I actually use that phrase a lot in my pre Cana pre marriage counseling when I instruct people to do exactly what she told us to do on our first meeting. I tell them, You need to do what Colleen I did, you need to go home. I'll just tell you what the lady told us to do. Go home, Jared and Colleen, and take out a legal pad, and I want you to write down all the chores in the house that you have to get done to make your life work, and then I want you to get together and decide who's going to do which thing. It's good advice. And it's not any experiment in 1950s gender roles. It's simply to make certain of two simple things. The first is that things get done. And secondly, that you will have no undue conflict because of poor communication. I tell couples now that, that without this kind of communication, you're prone to be like those two baseball players, you know, the right fielder and the center fielder, pursuing the same ball, but neither one of them calling, I've got it, I've got it, expecting for the other one to catch it, and then slowing down right before they run into each other to see the ball simply fall right between them. This helps us to make sure there are no dropped balls in your home. So we went home to go do this ourselves. It was really easy at first. Washing dishes. Oh, I hate washing dishes, I told Colleen. Colleen says, oh, I don't mind washing dishes. I'll do the dishes. Good for me. Then I said, laundry. Colleen said, I don't want you to do the laundry. I hate the way you fold towels. Good for me. (laughs) Then she said... What about the garbage? I hate the garbage. And I said, oh, well, I don't mind taking out the garbage. Put that one down for me. We got to yard work. And same thing, she said, I hate doing yard work. I said, I love doing yard work. She says, OK, you can do the yard work. Terrific. So we get our legal pad together. We have it separate about 50-50. And we take it back to the premarital counselor. And she looks at it and says, this is interesting. It appears that Colleen has a whole lot more work to do than Jared. I said, what do you mean? She said laundry and dishes, well that's a lot more involved and frequent than the garbage which is a one day a week thing, right? Sure. And yard work, and especially in Illinois, you only do yard work part of the year. And she also reminded me, she said, and Jared, you live in an apartment right now. <laughs> so we needed to make some changes. You know, that thing that she taught us is good, and, and, and we, we did make changes, and it's been helpful to us for some time. But she coupled it with another thing that I like to tell and pass along to people I'm counseling. Three numbers to remember. 100%, 0%, 100%. You're 100% responsible for yourself at all times and all places. We like that, don't we? We're Westerners. We're Americans. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. Second part. You are 0% responsible for the other person. Now, half of my couples think that makes sense. The other half balk at it. My argument is that most of us, even if we say we know we're not responsible for other people, we want some share of responsibility, and conflict comes from that. If you don't agree with me on that, we can talk about that later. The point is, at the end of the day, you're only 100% responsible for yourself and your role in the relationship. You're to be a cheerleader, a supporter, a helper, and that's really all you can do. So these are things that were passed on to us, that we've passed on to others. But you know what? Things change. And even though we have expectations and they're known, sometimes our expectations need to change as well. My question for each of us this morning is, what happens if you're one of those people who doesn't welcome change so well? Well, even with good intentions, problems still emerge. Colleen was going to do the dishes, and for a couple years, she did a great job doing the dishes in our home. And then came baby Marcella, and she stopped doing the dishes. I would come home with the expectation that the kitchen would be picked up, the dishes would be relatively clean and sorted out, but I'd walk in the house and there'd be a pile of dishes just sitting there dirty, and she would be in the living room playing with Marcella or feeding her. I didn't care that she was doing something more important. I was just irritated. My expectations were not met. And so the first time I walked up in there, I started huffing and puffing around the house. Have you ever huffed and puffed around the house, saying things under your breath so that your spouse can hear you? No, none of you, just me. (laughs) I assure you, it only happened one time. You know what all that huffing and puffing and ranting resulted in? An argument, conflict. So there's another time, I came home, and I was expecting the same thing. I don't know why, but I was still expecting what I thought to be a clean kitchen and house. And I walk in, and there's Colleen playing with Marcella, being a mother, and the dishes out of control. Instead of huffing and puffing and saying things under my breath, because you see, I was learning my lesson, I decided I would start slamming dishes and cups around, though, you know, to make a point non-verbally. That's passive aggression, my friends. I was good at it. Clang here, boom this. You know what that resulted in? Another argument. More conflict. You see, conflict really can arise easily with unmet expectations. One day, I came out of the bedroom, though, and I had an epiphany. Some of you have heard this story. As I walked around the the bedroom door and opened it to the kitchen... I saw the dishes once more a mess. I start huffing and puffing and ranting around the kitchen, talking out loud as if my wife were there to hear me, but no one was there, I was all home alone. And then God spoke to me. There was no audible, Jared. It was in my heart and in my mind, but it felt like being punched right in the gut. And here's what I heard. You are 100% responsible for yourself, so you are 100% responsible for being a jerk. You are 0% responsible for your wife and what she can manage and take care of. You are, however, 100% responsible for your role in the relationship and you're not being very supportive. Clearly, Jared, the dishes are a problem for you. Clearly, Jared the dishes are not a problem for Colleen, do the dishes. So I started doing the dishes and I thought maybe that's the solution. I got in the car and I drove to the office and another colleague was there and sat down and told him the story and he said, Jared, I'm glad you're finally learning about grace. Ouch. Hmm. The thing is, is, Expectations aren't always on the mark. Sometimes our expectations need to be changed. Now, the disciples in our story, like me, like you, they had many expectations, but specifically expectations of their teacher Jesus and how he was to come into the holy city of Jerusalem. You see, for them, Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah. Same word, two different languages. It means the anointed one of God set apart to do God's work of bringing in God's new kingdom, a new political order. And they theorized that if someone was going to do that, they probably would need like an army to do that because there was a big presence called Rome that was in charge. So someone's going to have to throw off Rome He would need an army, maybe a palace, definitely a new throne to sit on. So when they came into Jerusalem, the holy city, the city for the king, they thought he would come in like a man to be coronated, somebody who was going to have a troop around him to celebrate him, to wave banners and palms. Jesus says instead, when I go to Jerusalem and I'm going to let you in on the secret, I'm going to die. Shatters their expectations How do you think they handled it once they heard, not so much about coronation, but about death? Well, I think it hurt them in their heart. It certainly didn't meet the expectations. If you don't believe me that Peter had different expectations, just see the end of the gospel story where Jesus is betrayed in the garden where they're supposed to be praying. And when the guards come to get Jesus, what does Peter pull out of his pocket? A knife, a sword. And he gashes a man's ear off. You see, Peter was like a soldier, always ready for, to be called on to fight battle. Judas had this mindset too. So they are upset at hearing Jesus' understanding of his trip to Jerusalem, and they speak out. Peter speaks out. Peter speaks out with good intentions. But the funny thing is, sometimes our best intentions don't get us in good places, I submit to you that most of the errors of the world were built on good intentions. I was sitting in the island at the kitchen of my mother-in-law, I was still just dating Colleen, and I was there as she was doing dishes, eating chips and dip or something, and she was going on and on about some story and then told me her age. Now, here's the thing, I don't even know how to say it well. My mother-in-law looks very good, period, okay, but she does not look her age. My thought, here's the logic of me, this is good news for me, because apparently she ages well and apparently that means Colleen has a good chance of aging well, booyah baby. So in my enamored state, I just blurted out, well-intentioned, you don't look that old. Sometimes our good intentions of speaking out aren't always the best. Sometimes we stick our foot in our mouth. That's what happened with St. Peter. He takes Jesus aside and says, surely you can't be killed. This isn't the way it's supposed to happen. And he gets called out for it. Can you think of a time when your best intentions went awry? Here's Peter. And Jesus looks at him and actually calls him the devil. Get behind me, Satan. Or another word for Satan in Scripture, antichrist. That one or whom or people who are against the way of Christ. And the way of Christ is this, going to die for the world, going to self-give for the world. And Peter's saying, don't go that way. He calls him the antichrist. He's not thinking he's got a pitchfork and a tail, folks. He's telling him that you have the wrong spirit. Your good intentions are wrong he then tells them a central Christian paradox. It's incredibly hard for the disciples to understand, and it's hard for you and I to understand. He says this, listen, if you want to live, you have to die. You want to find your destiny, you have to lose your life. If you want to be saved, you're going to have to suffer. Jesus isn't a very good marketer, is he? Can you imagine a sales pitch that goes like this? Buy this product, it'll make your life challenging. Come shop here, it'll hurt when you do. The thing of it is, is not good marketing, but the reality is I think the human spirit worships another god. It's the god of convenience. I'm convinced of that. I think it's the modern god. I preach two gospels. I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I preach the good news of the Aldi grocery store. I'm always telling people about Aldi. I'm going to say the prices are great. You got good products. And oh, by the way, I can find locally sourced, naturally raised eggs and milk products that I can find at this other store for half the price. I'm sitting in a friend's house, it's lodge-like, they got this huge win- picture window out over the woods, real beautiful, there's a fire in the fireplace, we have a cup of coffee around the, around the island and I'm talking about Aldi. And the friend's like, oh, I, I, I couldn't go to Aldi, I, I, don't, I don't wanna go. Well, why don't you wanna go to Aldi? It's better for your life, it'll change the world. <laughs> I'm not given to exaggeration ever. She says, well, because when you go to Aldi, you have to have a quarter to get the shopping cart. Oh my! Keep a quarter in your car. Great idea. That's what I do. It's no big deal. Here's a quarter. I put it on my pocket and gave it to them. And they said, well, they don't have shopping bags. I go, ah, that's not true. That's not true. They got shopping bags now, 10 cents apiece. But why would you want to buy a shopping bag that you just throw away? That's bad for creation. Why don't you get reusable shopping bags? Oh, I have those. Well, then use them. Well, I always forget them in the closet. Oh, that's a terrible plight. Why don't you keep the garbage or the, the grocery sacks in your car? Wow, she wasn't going to go to Aldi because it was inconvenient for her. I think so much of our mindset is built around the concept of convenience that we have a hard time hearing Jesus. He's not offering your best life now. He's not offering health and wealth. He's saying, give your life over. See, for the disciples, for you, for me, I submit that Jesus is talking about a world upside down and it defies our best intentions and expectations. And Jesus doesn't see it as the world upside down. He actually sees it as the world turned right side up, revealing to us mere mortals that we often look at the world upside down and we need it fixed. And Jesus recalibrates for us how to imagine the world rightly. You may not realize this, but one reason that you come to church is that you are in need of recalibration every week. You are in need of being refocusing your vision on the image of the world through the lens of Christ Jesus. I find that when we do this and when we live this way, other people look around us and say, why are you doing things that way? That's strange. I had a friend We were uh, reading uh, Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer at 6 a.m. on Tuesdays at Denny's. And he came in after reading one of the chapters. He dropped the book down. He had a crossroads of faith in his heart. You see, his wife and his best friend had an affair several years prior. Now, both marriages were intact and being worked on, and it was all going well for both marriages. But this friend of mine hadn't reconciled with the person who had wronged him. And Bonhoeffer challenges that. And so he says, I need to forgive him. He looked at me and he says, make that happen. I said, what do you mean make that happen? He wanted me to arrange a meeting and I was blessed by God to sit in a Mexican restaurant in between these two people who had long history, who loved each other, and then there was a deep wound between them. And I see one man crying saying, I forgive you for what you did. And I hear the other man saying, forgive me and thank you, with tears streaming down his cheeks. And I saw a hug, and we prayed. And here's what I witnessed. God. Evidence of God. And it was funny to me, Right after that event, I went and told some folks that testimony. I wanted to tell them why I was crying and why I had tears in my eyes and why I was moved. And one of the people listening to my story said, Why would he do that? That's stupid. That's weak. We follow the path of Christ. We're not called to weakness, we're called to a new kind of strength that we find when we say, I give up. I am yours. When we follow the work of Christ, we find ourselves doing things that are simply selfless and strange to people. It's like the couple that I know who adopted two troubled kids. They didn't adopt babies. They adopted kids who were older, who had learning disabilities and a great deal of trouble. They took them in, and their friends said, you're going to make your life hard on yourself. Or it's like Ryan Stewart, a deacon in our church, an old friend of mine, who, when he was a youth minister... In Illinois, I was a youth minister in another church. And I asked him, what what time does he do youth group? And he said, the only time I can get the kids there is like 10 p.m. on Friday night. Do you know what I said? Why would you do that? That's inconvenient for you. It's inconvenient for me because I'd like to hang out with you Friday at 10. Well, he said that's the only time the kids would come. And he got the whole town going. It's like how Gus Hightower, another one of our members, He got a nice job out of college, and he wasn't shy about his income, and he also wasn't shy about telling his friends that he wanted to give part of it to a tie, the church. And they thought he had antlers growing at the side of his head. Why would you do that? It's strange. When we encounter Christ, all of our expectations are obliterated. He turns our world upside down, or rather right side up again. And once more, it's not simply so we can have it all power, influence, health and wealth. It's so that we can find out who we're truly made to be in Christ. All we can expect to truly find what it means to give of ourselves because that's real life. You know, my mama, she's had a pretty good life, but I really look at the shape of it and it's based on self-sacrifice for her children. There are times that she worked two different jobs, part-time here, evenings there. She stayed at home during the day for the kids. She even prolonged going to college just to help her family. Did you know that when I was a freshman in college, my freshman mathematics course, I walked in, and my mom was sitting in the same class? (laughs) She prolonged it till I was in college. Well, I'll tell you stories about that another time. For now, I will simply say, she's lived a good life because it was in the shape of Christ, which is in one that hands their self over for God.
0: God bless you.